0: Hello, peace, shalom, sdra'as salaam alaikum, smash me down, back at it again with the geopolitical pivot. Uh, first and foremost, I want to start off with my serious apologies and condolences with uh, the sheer size of hi- hiatus that I took before coming back to, ra- uh, to make this, this episode. Uh, there's a lot a lot, been going on in my life, uh, but now I think that I'm able to really schedule out especially for this series that I think that's really interesting and a lot of people uh, would take some interest in, um, regarding global terrorism. Uh, yesterday, I received uh, the, a link to the Institute for Economics and Peace, their 2020 Global Terrorism Index. In addition to today, I received access to the Department of State's, uh, hold on, let me get it for you, one moment. I just need the name because this is a long name. The U.S. Department of State Bureau of Counterterrorism, their Annex of Statistical Information uh, Country Reports on Terrorism for the year 2019 that was written by their Global Terrorism Trends and Analysis Center. So looking at both of them, comparing and contrasting, it's really interesting to see that, in fact, over the past five years, actually, so from 2000. 14 to 2019 we've been in an interesting trend uh, in a decline actually on global deaths from terrorism Uh, So what I wanted to do is uh, for this particular uh, Series for the geopolitical pivot. I wanted to do a a profile country profile But also a group profile on the main top ten countries with the highest impact of terrorism as well as the four main uh, terrorist organizations that are conducting global terrorism in three main geographic regions. So, which is the Western Asia portion, which we also call the Middle East, South Asia, so India and Pakistan, primarily with Bangladesh, and the Sub Sahara Africa uh, region, from about approximately 10 different countries spanning the size of the geographical area between New York City and Vancouver, Canada. So with that, what I wanted to do is just to give you some facts or information that I actually felt was really interesting from reading the the IEC, the Institute for Economics and Peace report, um, as well as some contrast that I've seen already between the two reports. They're both primarily saying the same things. Uh, however, I guess with different research and how they're finding the statistical analysis, there are some at least one instance that I found that's different. Uh, so with the Institute of Economics, uh, Institute for Economics and Peace, as they alluded to, and the same thing for the Department of State's uh, country reports for terrorism 2019, if someone said the same thing as far as global terrorism is actually on a decline uh, for the fifth consecutive year, uh, so far in comparison between 2018 terrorism and 2019 terrorism, we've had a a 15 percent decrease overall in in terrorism uh simultaneously however there's kind of a yin-yang i guess you can call it trend that's going on whereas islamic radicalism and islamic-based terrorism is decreasing globally we've actually we're actually seeing a an increase and far right terrorism, primarily in North America, Western Europe, and Oceania, so Australia, New Zealand. Um, apparently, we've been far right increases or far right attacks have increased by 250% since 2014, uh, and that's the highest it's been for the past 50 years. Taking that into consideration, it makes sense. When we're looking at global events, global trends, at least towards the tail end of Barack Obama's second term and then the rise of Donald Trump. If anybody actually has time, I mean, has Netflix. I recommend, there was a, a movie that came out, not a movie, but a documentary that came out back in 2018 uh, on Netflix called Trump and American Dream. And it's really interesting how they showed the background, his background. Um, dealing with politics. I know that he likes to say that he's an outsider, but looking at how, for example, he acquired the Commodore Hotel and then building up the Trump Plaza, it's interesting that, although he proclaims to be an outsider, he was very much an insider when it came to certain kinds of politics, especially dirty politics. Um, But also, his affiliations, in a way, with the, the notions of American populism And then when Barack Obama became president, the whole birther movement, and all of that didn't come from nowhere. His slogan, Make America Great Again, comes from the Reagan era. And then the notions of America first comes from the Woodrow Wilson era. Both initially being based in not just American isolationism, but also this notion of American power. um, American... Preeminence. This notion, of America was born exceptional, and American exceptionalism is based in from the founding fathers. But I digress. But I digress. Um, when we're talking about right wing nationalism, right wing, right wing terror attacks, we're talking about from neo Nazis. We're talking about white supremacists. We're talking about anti government organizations, which is something the United States is not. Uh, alien Two. Uh, we've had multiple, especially in the nineteen eighties and then nineteen the nineties, leading up to the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, out in the West Coast uh, with uh, white supremacist organizations seeking to establish an all-white uh, state in you know, Oregon. It has a prime example for their history, and then Oklahoma City bombing in the West, um, and then right when terrorism fueled after the Waco uh, crackdown. So, as I alluded to earlier, at least in the Western world, far-right terrorism has increased by 250%. However, simultaneously, um, Islamic radicalism, especially after the ending, or at least the, the shrinking of the Islamic State, so we're talking about from 2014 to now, has largely substantially decreased. It is interesting to see that trend where we had the, a height of global jihadism global terrorism so far in 2014 with the declaration of the islamic state and then you had spikes along the way primarily also in 2016 uh, when boko haram had declared their and allegiance to the islamic state but after isis started to dwindle in iraq and syria they moved elsewhere and it was an interesting trend that they moved to sub saharan africa Sahel region, as well as South Asia. Uh, they, in the Sub Saharan Africa region, they've primarily based themselves in areas like Nigeria, Burkina Faso, Mali, um, as well as Niger. And in those areas, they take control um, or predominant influences in the hinterland areas due to porous borders and they exploit ethnic conflicts and disgruntled attitudes towards the government um kind of essentially establish themselves as the middleman and they're exploiting these grievances to establish their own islamic state essentially what they tried to do in the middle east they now have a greater probability and possibility of doing in africa unchecked essentially now we cut into 2020 with covid um, unfortunately, with COVID nineteen, with we have an increasing the public spendings, and that's getting in the way of a lot of budgeting, especially when it comes to international me, international aid towards conducting global counterterrorism operations in Africa. Uh, at the same time, as we, even though we're seeing a fifteen, as, even though we saw a a fifteen percent decrease uh, in twenty nineteen, there are still ten major countries that are still you know remaining impacted by by large percentages of terrorism and that in those countries are in those three main geographic areas of the Middle East, South Asia, sub-Saharan Africa so that's Afghanistan, there's Iraq, there's Nigeria, there's Syria and Somalia, there's Yemen, there's Pakistan India, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and the Philippines. However, that those ten countries are from the estimates from the Institute for Economics and Peace. However, according to the Department of State, the main difference, the only country that's different, is that the, the Department of State has Colombia down as a main country that's enduring highest uh, impacts. Of terrorism while the IEC has the Democratic Republic of the Congo. It's interesting enough because I think the difference is it's based off of what locals are either addressing or determining to be terroristic or who it's affiliated with. I know, for example, there are there is an ISIS-affiliated organization in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, but sometimes the locals... When they are reporting terrorism, they don't report it under the name of ISIS. They are reporting it under a different name, which is what I will talk about when I do a Democratic Republic of the Congo profile um, when it comes to this ter- to this terrorist series. Uh, other than the, the Middle East, the MENA region, Middle East, North Africa region, which is actually recorded their largest regional improvement terrorism for the second year in a row, uh, which is record? They've recorded their lowest number of deaths since 2013. South Asia, interesting enough, is becoming the most impacted region by terrorism, um, and then by extension, in Southeast Asia that include the Philippines. But sometimes in these areas that we're seeing, it's not just primarily Islamic radicalism and jihadism that's conducting these terrorist attacks. When we look at South India and the Philippines. We're seeing that there's Maoist, uh, communistic militia groups that are also doing coordinated terrorist attacks, not just against the government, but also general populations. So That's also something that we have to take into consideration. When I was talking about the the sub-Sahara region, I know back in July, I had a, an article published by the Geopolitical Monitor talking exactly about the situation of how the sahel region is essentially a powder keg and that's simply because sub sahara africa is being hit the hardest by these terrorist groups because it's easy it's an easy way to find refuge uh the most of the countries are very weak in their security implementations uh there's lacking of economic development and there's an increase in political corruption and ostracization of large groups of the population that are looking to give off their grievances. However, at the same time, the main difference that should be noted between Middle Eastern terrorism and African terrorism is that 70% of sub-Saharan African terrorism is not ideologically based. It's primarily financial and economic based. Therefore, you have Africans that are participating in terrorism, not for not for the simple fact that they may believe in the ideology behind the organization that's doing this terrorism, but because, quite frankly, they need the financial assistance, they need the the economic opportunities, they need the security. So that also has to be taken into consideration. That one way to deter terrorism within the sub-Saharan Africa portions of of, of Africa, it's so okay economic opportunities and development. That seems to be a good way to combat terrorism within sub-Saharan Africa. It's not just through hard power. It could be through the utilizing of, of soft power approaches as well in which the United States, if it played it, its cards right, could actually assist in that combating. But the problem is with COVID-19 it's Because priorities are being placed elsewhere, counterterrorism is unfortunately not at the forefront of the policy. So we've seen that al-Shabaab has also increased their their risk takings in waging their insurgency against the Somali government. We've seen that as well in Afghanistan. We're seeing that now in sub-Saharan Africa. It's not a coincidence to see that as COVID-19's pandemic increased and there's been a lack of government attention or at least priority and in initiatives in sub-Saharan Africa toward combating these types of terrorism, that there is an increase per se in their presence and the growth in their of their hotspots. That's not by accident. Nor is it by design, it's a matter of circumstance. Uh, so what I want to do with this new series is that I wanna pinpoint those ten. Well I would say eleven uh, countries because I want to also look more into why Colombia is being listed by the Department of State unless it's for terrorism geared towards maybe FARC um, or dr- some sort of drug trafficking um, or could be connected towards refugee flows from Venezuela. Um, I'll look into that. But enough, those 10 countries, so the Philippines and Democratic Republic of the Congo, India, Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, Syria, Nigeria, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Colombia. Uh, I'm going to do individual um, episodes for them to kind of actually have a full-on discussion on why terrorism is happening in these areas. Um, it's, it's important to note that 96% of deaths from terrorism in 2019 are from countries that are already in, co- in some form of conflict. And that last year, about 103 countries have improved their conditions, uh, these domestic conditions, therefore contributing to the decrease in terrorist deaths, terrorist-related actions. Uh, for, but however, for example, you have countries like Afghanistan and Nigeria that although they have had a decrease in deaths related to terrorism, they're still experiencing more than a thousand deaths from these terror-related incidents and casualties. So, what I want to do is, and what I will do—not necessarily what I want to do—what will happen that I'm going to look at this declining factor, this trend of Islamic jihadism, this increasing in right-wing uh, terrorism in Western, in the Western world, including that includes Oceania, like uh, Australia and New Zealand. I want to talk more on sub-Saharan African terrorism and that's becoming a major problem. Um, and I also want to talk about the four main terror groups that are conducting these these travesties, uh, which would be the Taliban, al-Shabaab, which is technically connected with al-Qaeda, but al-Shabaab, ISIS, and their 19 affiliates, um, and Boko Haram. See, those four Main groups should definitely be highlighted, especially for Afghanistan when we're talking about withdrawing troops by May 2021. Um, the Taliban has increased their targeting on government, uh, Afghan government forces and security forces. That interesting enough that they're decreasing hum- their general population casualties, and they're becoming much more tactical and precise on their operations to only target. Of military officials Afghan officials through assassination attempts so we're seeing a decrease in civilian deaths but an increase in government uh, government you no know, pro-government deaths and casualties So that's something I also want to look at um, another thing that I also wanted to look at and maybe I'll reach out to someone that's pretty good with understanding the global economy is that the global the global economic impact of terrorism has fell by 25% in 2019 to 16.4 billion, uh, which is pretty substantial. Um, That's seeing that in, when the areas in which terrorism is being conducted, that the the global impact on terrorism is dwindling. And that is simply because in these areas uh, of conflict, that as there's a growth in socioeconomic development You're weaning away the attraction to terrorism as an open form of grievance against forces that are being considered the reasons for the grievances, which is primarily the government security or state security forces um, or even the general population or another opposing uh, group or societal group. So in-group versus out-group. So another thing that I wanted to look at as well are the... Why is it, or how is it, that COVID-19 is impacting the the trend in terrorism? Because it's a possibility that nineteen, the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted both the level of terrorism, so the, the sheer amount of terrorism that's being conducted, as well as the types of terrorism that's being utilized. I remember earlier in the year, even the Taliban and then eventually also ISIS uh, were informing their fighters that were in western europe that if essentially they're sick with covid or they feel that they were sick with covid do not return to the middle east or to afghanistan but to utilize covid as a form of a biological weapon against westerners ironic enough that in certain types of correspondence social media correspondence right wing Terror groups, primarily in the United States, were also saying the same thing: to utilize themselves as carriers for biological warfare against their ideological enemies. That is as concerning. Um, nonetheless, what we're seeing in the relation to right-wing terrorism that between 2011, so the Obama era, and 2019, the Trump era, riots and violent demonstrations. Uh, in Western Europe, primarily United States, have increased by two hundred and seventy-seven percent, and that was stated by there's an individual by the name of Thomas Morgan, who is a senior research fellow at the uh, the Institute for Economics and Peace. And the reason for that is that, well, as economic conditions deteriorate, so as more people tend to lose their jobs, they start to lose money, they're starting to be one paycheck away from abject poverty and impoverishment they feel that they become much more what's the word I'm looking for alienated from the overall society that they're supposed to be part of. And because of that alienation they become more susceptible to extremist propaganda online. And that but for example, like when ISIS was how ISIS was able to reach out to to foreign fighters, well who will eventually become foreign fighters is primarily through social media accounts, you know, Telegram, Twitter. YouTube propaganda videos, and they attracted not just poor un, you know, poor people that feel they've been sidelined by the overall society, so now we're talking about socioeconomic economic minorities, but somehow they were also able to attract those from an upper middle class and an upper class echelons of Western society to leave their homes to either conduct lone wolf terroristic attacks within their home countries or to come to Syria and help fight them in their eschatological jihad. So one way that we have to look into how how to combat terrorism is how to disrupt those social media channels and to hinder people from not just excessive media coverage that these terrorist organizations are looking to achieve for for maximizing the psychological damage. to their global audience for to further their legitimacy to who can be the most notorious organization, but also a way to wean the potential vulnerable groups of society away from becoming recruited and conducting uh, terrorist attacks both here and abroad. Because of this uh, this increase in right-wing terrorism, uh, the United States ranked, according to the IHC, the highest uh, amongst all Western nations, at twenty nine, uh, with fifty three or twenty nine out of essentially all the countries in the world, uh, they ranked twenty nine with fifty three attacks and thirty nine deaths in, in twenty nineteen. Of the thirty nine deaths, thirty four deaths were attributed to far right extremists. the The executive chairman of the Institute of the Economics of Peace indicated that you know far right groups. Are responsible for a total of 89 deaths within the Western world uh, or just at least the world are responsible for 89 deaths in 2019 and 51 of those 89 deaths were from the the Christchurch um, mosques by the two mosques that were shot up um, in Christchurch New Zealand um, from a single gunman who is now glorified by right-wing terrorist organizations all of this is what I want to to break down in this series, in this new series of global terrorism. And it's something that I'm also going to take very, very, very seriously uh, because of its implications moving forward for 2020. Uh, we've seen an increase in al-Shabaab activities, Boko Haram activities, ISIS and Al-Qaeda um, activities primarily in Africa. You know, Ethiopia is now in a civil war and it's spilled into Eritrea and they're both connect to Somalia, and quite frankly, Ash-Shabaab only claims responsibility for attacks that they do in Somalia. So that still leaves the plausibility that they are conducting terroristic, terroristic activities outside of Somalia. Uh, another thing that I want to do is I want I want to extensively highlight the, the four main terrorist groups that are responsible for at least over 55% of deaths from terrorism. In 2019, and that's the Taliban, Boko Haram, ISIS, and Al Shabaab. For each of them, I want to do extensive um, case studies on each of them um, to show them, well, how exactly, well, why exactly they think the way that they do, what are their tactics, uh, what are the percentages of global terrorism that they're responsible for, and what are some potential future implications that we could see from their trends. Um, Most of that will probably come from Department of State um, statistics research and data um, however the IEC from what I've seen they actually have a good amount of information regarding um, their modus operandi uh, uh, in addition to that there's no really overall conclusion to this series but what I want to do is I want it to be a way to pack, to unpack a lot of the sometimes I guess complex things that the media doesn't necessarily, do well at addressing and explaining so what i want to do is explain this global terrorism um, as it all refers to 2019 and we'll look into where we are so far at the end of 2020. so with that just wanted to do a little introduction on what's going to happen moving forward tomorrow I will start off with Afghanistan, amongst the, the 11 countries that I'm going to do. The country profile will be on Afghanistan, so the history of terrorism, primarily during starting off with the Soviet invasion, 1979, up into present day. And then in addition to that, uh, that country profile, I'm going to do a profile on the Taliban. Which is primarily operating in Afghanistan, as well as the Pashtun areas of Pakistan, uh, which is essentially the border of Pakistan and Afghanistan. That's, I'm going to strive to have both of those done tomorrow. And then maybe a few days after Afghanistan, uh, while I'll do research uh, for a few days after I upload the to Afghanistan, uh, I guess episodes and then I'll move on to Iraq and while I do Iraq I also want to talk a little bit about the influences of Iran and Iraq's terrorism problem because that that is that can't be overlooked uh, but what you could also talk about as far as Iraq you could talk about a little bit about the Kurds as well uh, but for the most part when we're looking at Iraq we'll primarily be looking at the Shia militias um, and ISIS so that's what we're going to, to be doing probably next week. So with that, I bid you farewell, and I will see you until next time.